All right, so ladies and gentlemen, we are going to do a recap. This is the level 1 to 20 recap. And then I have some questions for our players, and that is what we're going to do. So this first part is uh, obviously scripted, so bear with me here, folks. Our heroes are hired by Grimble Tanglebeard, the recently promoted provincial governor of Old Fenrir, a dwarven architect and cleric of Divine Hammer, the god of crafting. Empirical rule of the Providence has stretched the Ostrogarian Empire beyond its tolerance as the fairy curse-based environmental disaster nears its 100th year. Tanglebeard has a new plan to get better political results by hiring adventurers to deal with thorny political conflicts. Sensing an opening to bring about change in the theocracy, journalist Samu Eliard, priest of the mask, god of youth and change, is hoping this new policy will let the real juicy gossip escape the government and the army. The two of them, Tanglebeard and Eliard, form the church powers of Tuscan, representing conservative and liberal factions of the church on the border between the empire and the province. Enter our heroes! Tanglebeard hires the Dark Arbiters and the Sharp Edge of the Pub, two competing venturing parties, of which our listeners will hopefully be rooting for the Dark Arbiters. Our heroes are Bulain Kulema, priestess of the Silent Judge, goddess of death and the journey of souls, Creedon Brightwind, a failed priest of divine mercy, the goddess of love, marriage, and emotion, turned warlock of some yet undiscovered patron, and Zerus, zealot of sister truth, goddess of law and civilization. They are certainly better than those sharp edge of the pub folks, Max the Gregarious, Dread the Emo, and Chastity the Self-Righteous Priest of Brother Ambition, God of Strength and War. Who even knows their agenda? Their work seems a little suspect and a little sloppy. Let's check in on the story so far. The Dark Arbiters take two of the jobs offered and head to the idyllic town of Palmville to retrieve a holy relic from the tomb of St. Astro Fourteenth famous for removing the undead scourge from the town nearly a century ago. Unfortunately, the fabled Rod of Astra proves to be instrumental in containing a powerful and evil force known as Vecna, and the Soli is writing Amaranth Strain, the necromancing priest of the Silent Judge who created the undead scourge 100 years ago. It turns out the legend of St. Astra is not as pristine or clear as history remembers, and the wronged party of Amaranth Strain and his family sought out dark powers when their goddess, the Silent Judge, didn't answer their prayers. When the party removes the fabled Rod of Astra, all hell breaks loose in Palmville, and the city is overrun by a zombie horde of apocalyptic levels. Gathering a few allies from town, the team marches back and seals Amaranth Strain's wandering soul in a magic circle before exorcising him from this world, apparently freeing Vecna, an extinct vestige death god from 500 years ago. Our heroes then head on to Highlock, a town known for its great feat of engineering, a lock and channel system for boats that form uh, as a hub where rare river and land trade meet. The mayor, Chester Tanglebeard, a charismatic paladin of Brother Ambition, who has ruled this town on behalf of the church for a hundred years, has a little labor dispute on his hands. Someone is raiding the boats in the trade riverway, despite the fact that the lock operator's guild have successfully ensured this sort of thing wouldn't happen for over a century. The mayor voices a suspicion that some kind of union conflict is to blame. It turns out that the Lock Operators Guild is a thieves' guild, running an extortion and protection racket, charging exorbitant fees to not steal from the merchants, and bribing Chester to keep the system in place. The River Raiders are led by one like Frikers, 
an armed revolutionary attempting to expose the corruption of the system and to end the rule of the church in favor of the monarchy which his family line once belonged to. A local detective in the guard, another cleric of Brother Ambition, Con Bardiche, has been trying to bring down this corruption, earning a name for himself and possibly promotion. Our heroes, the Dark Arbiters, side with Con Bardiche against everyone, toppling the raiders, the Thieves' Guild, and Chester, the corrupt mayor, with a whirlwind tour of violence and investigations. But choose not to get invested in the swamp politics of lizardmen, dragons, hydra, and giant crocodiles. At least for now. The Dark Arbiters then head to the town of Northbank, infamous for being a place of sickness and famine on the edge of a dried-up lake of mud. Northbank is ruled by the famed Archsage Mason, a nearly millennium-old wizard with a mysterious history. The sharp edge of the pub had been here, and they discovered the Archsage's missing apprentice had invented a new type of undead, a ghost that keeps its spellcasting ability. He has since been on a personal mission to convert the local spellcasters into ghosts. The pub seemed to have killed the apprentice, but missed one of the ghosts. The Archsage asks our heroes to investigate another vestigial god of disease headed in the town's muddy lake banks and to check up on the work left undone by the sharp edge of the pub. After a quick investigation, our heroes run into a cult dedicated to the pox, whose leader had been converted into a ghost mage. Two nearly disastrous fights later, the singular ghost is destroyed and the pox is vanquished. The Archsage gifts our heroes some magic items and leaves town to hunt Vecna, the next vestige god on his list. Our heroes leave Northbank, not realizing that they are missing a few days of time from their memories. Our heroes march onward towards Sternheim, where the sharp edge of the pub had apparently thwarted a war between a nomadic tribe of centaurs and the local town. A werewolf asks our hero for help curing her father from lycanthropy, which they do. However, it turns out the werewolves have been ensnaring travelers for food for years, so this does not end well. In the wake of that encounter, the Dark Arbiters begin investigating why the mayor has gone missing, why the aggressive centaurs are back, and the circumstances of two similar murders of Sternheim citizens. The investigation takes the party out of town to a lost ruin inside the thorns through a secret tunnel, where fairies hold the mayor prisoner and are in a deep underground conflict with some thieves guild members who tunneled out from Fenrir. This is all just the plot so far, but there are also character stories. Zerus is a lawful evil church lawyer, powered by the divine outrage of broken laws and disorderly conduct. While he hasn't learned much new about himself yet, he has put his destructive urges to good use, leading the party in joining a secret faction known as the Silver Thread, which exists to hunt and exterminate heretical vestige gods who trespass on the mortal realm. Zerus is not without his allies, having befriended Owen the Shield, an ex-military officer and descendant of St. Astra, the 14th in Palmville, and Detective Con Bardiche, a town guard and militia member of Hylock. Zerus is, however, quick to make enemies at least if they survive his acts. Like Frikers, the armed revolutionary, and Chester Tanglebeard, the corrupt mayor are amongst those ranks. We catch up with Zerus as he works to bring justice to Sternheim by force. Lulaine, a drow cleric of the Silent Judge, gains an ally in Palmville in the form of Sadie. Once an apprentice of the Silent Judge, Sadie retired to be a humble baker after the debacle with St. Astra the Fourteenth. 
She dies of old age in the fight to save Palmville, but her prayer for a little more time is answered and Sadie is transformed into a raven familiar who is never far from Boulain. We have learned that Boulain is hunted by bounty hunters and had to flee the port city of Turtle Bay, her home of over 60 years. She also has mysterious elvish tattoos on her back that she takes pains to hide from everyone, the party included. We catch up with Boulain as she seeks to prevent untimely deaths in the town of Sternheim. Creedon, the goth warlock of love, remains torn between her desire to succeed in the Church of Love and her need to walk her own life path. We discover that her mysterious warlock patron appears to target people who are not chosen by their gods with divine power, on the promise that this creature is giving them a chance to catch their god's eye. It is discovered that Creedon's patron has another supplicant in the form of Like Frikers, the armed revolutionary, struggling to gain the attention of his desired god, the Mask, god of youth and change. The patron pit the two against each other, and Creedon emerged victorious, claiming the mystical bow her patron had gifted her rival. Numerous near-death experiences have brought Creedon to the edge of her emotional skills as a young woman, and today we find her stressed out, but persevering. <laughs> all right, that catches us up. So I got a couple <laughs> questions here for, for all of us to just have a conversation about. There's about five of them. First question, what is the funniest or funnest thing that has happened in the campaign so far? Can I... Can I go? Go. Take it away, Claire. Boy, when I, I did not mean to seduce that giant alligator, but when I did that, that really got me. <laughs> I, I was going to uh, second the, that the one. The love potion in the river yeah. was a bad move. The, the all-father growing amorous of the canoe is probably the funniest thing. <laughs> all, all, the, all the giant alligator stuff. <laughs> like it was, it was the, the scene killing the giant alligator was fun. The scene running from the amorous alligator was fun. So giant, just more giant alligators. Oh yeah, okay. the fight with Lake that was that was a good fight. That that was a good fight. That was that was a it was a shit show, but it was a good fight. It seems to be our brand. <laughs> <laughs> that that was chaos. I, I just want to I want to say like I, I'm also reflecting a lot on the fact that we we do work well as a team together, but like the roles just keep betraying us, you know. And so these fights always become near death experiences. <laughs> <laughs> Who is your favorite NPC? I want to know more about her, but I'm very interested in Bella, who I've described as the mm. B-E-A-R barefoot painted Jezebel. <laughs> uh, I, like, we, we didn't get much time with her, but I, I like her. And I'm also hoping that I can have a new favorite NPC when we one day meet this pirate queen. <laughs> nice. I, I don't know that she survives that, but we'll see. <laughs> Oh God! I didn't think about that. Well, maybe not. Yeah. The mask. The mask is yours. They serve the mask. Mm. We can still kill maybe. her, and I can still like her as an NPC. That's true. That's true. That's true. And anyway, just because a character dies doesn't mean they're gone. Yeah, also true. They'll always live on in also, our. Also, maybe maybe there's a maybe there's a shift. Who knows? I liked what's her name. I forgot her, the werewolf. I've forgotten the werewolf's name. Saritha. Yes. Yeah. I liked. I like you know when a. When a little NPC, a seemingly throwaway interaction, ends up becoming much larger, like it, it creates a, it paints a world mm -hmm. with things happening outside of outside of it. I don't know if it was clear, but it seemed like pre-planned. That's always fun when it's like, oh, all right, that that past action makes a lot of sense now with this new information. Mm -hmm. And I just like the full story in the arc. 
up to when we beheaded her or whatever. That was good. <laughs> I mean, you snuffed out what a that great one. story she had. Yeah. What a great, <laughs> lovely brief, story what a great she had. brief story she had. I was there at the end. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a hard time picking between Kaima and like Frikers. Oh, I loved like too. He was my he was my second pick. Yeah, I, I, I just, I really enjoyed the sort of moral conundrum surrounding like that, you know, he was trying to do a good thing through bad means, but like, Boulain was pretty sure she, he wasn't a bad person necessarily, but he's, <laughs> you know, about to get the book thrown at him, so consequences of his own actions kind of thing. But I, I thought he was a, he was a really nice, comp, uh, I guess, complex on the moral scale <laughs> character that was fun to pick apart. You you said that, and it made me want my axe to look like a book. Yeah. <laughs> I also think, like, tying him to Zerus's story is also interesting, because I think we're going to run into him again, and so I'm oh, looking yeah. forward to that. I think I'm looking forward to that, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was cool that he's entwining your backstory and also was, like, kind of a foil of mine by yeah. sharing my patron, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I just thought that was very interesting. Yeah. Oh, let's see. Who's my favorite NPC? The one we killed. <laughs> we kill them all <laughs> but uh let's see who who did i enjoy playing the most so uh, the easy answer is art sage mason who is integral to the plot mm-hmm. like the overarching plot so there's a lot going on there that nobody knows yet but i think conbardish might have been my favorite so mm-hmm. far who isn't inherently linked to the overarching plot like he's a, a fixture of a town right now but i think he's my favorite because he was his whole thing was like he's trying to play these three sides against each other, looking for an opportunity to take them all down, and just sucks at it. <laughs> and I enjoyed that. I but enjoyed he's going to take all the credit for it when we succeeded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. You guys did him so many favors. Khan seemed like a pretty cool dude. He seemed he seemed all right for who he was. I also liked the merchant we ran out of town. That I liked that guy. I just oh, like that story. Yeah. Oh, which Birdie? one? Birdie, yeah. All the stolen trinkets. <laughs> <laughs> where do you think each character's story is going? Like, where do you think your character's stories are headed? You mean like individually or as a group? Sure. I don't care. Okay. Yes. Yes to both. Yes. yes. Well, I, I think I think Zerus is going to have a reckoning with both Creedon and Boulain at some point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested... I'm interested to see that. I don't know. I've got ideas for Creedon. I mean, Creedon is incredibly naive, and I feel like part of this adventuring journey for her is to kind of slap that naivety out of her a little bit. And I feel like, you know, growing up in the Church of Divine Mercy, it also makes sense that you might leave a little naive. But I think that, like, dealing with like and seeing how our patron pitted us against each other, it was kind of the first time... I feel like Creedon was like, I made the right choice becoming a warlock. This was great. I'm the smart one here. And then for the first time, she was probably kind of like, uh-oh, I might be dealing with things that I'm not totally ready to be dealing with and like that could maybe totally ruin my life because it just happened to that guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, like she's, wait, she's waiting for the next for the next warlock to come yeah, along. It's kind of waiting better. for the other shoe to drop a little bit. And so I think she's kind of starting to question her choices here. And I think Creedon wants to be good. I kind of don't know if I actually want her to end up staying in the Church of Divine Mercy or not. I I don't really know where I want that to go. But I do think that 
part of her arc will probably end up being trying to get out of her pact somehow. Well, I can't help it. Like in in the in the episode in the summary, the recap, there's this phrase in there that you know the promise is that you will get divine mercy's attention. There is no promise that that's going to be good attention. Yeah. (laughs) So like. Maybe, you know, Zerus, I think, either brings the world to heal. Or, <laughs> <laughs> or the world brings him to heal. <laughs> or uh, or dies trying. Like, right now, that's that's where I see him at. It's a lot of his way of the highway. He is making concessions for uh, Creedon and Bulane. Mm-hmm. But that is limited in both scope meaning like it's only to them and uh also limited to them in a way that there are lines if they cross there'll be more well mm-hmm. more so belaine than creedon <laughs> mommy dearest protects you i'm sorry creedon's got a powerful mom yeah exactly <laughs> true but you don't know the extent of my sins also true <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to it most likely he dies trying to oh, <laughs> try trying to save the world <laughs> from itself I can, from itself <laughs> i can see that <laughs> or or he learns and learns to adapt and tolerate <laughs> maybe he learns a different way i think the lane's past is going to catch up with her in a big way and it's going to be interesting to see how the party responds to that <laughs> i cannot wait to learn your secrets <laughs> <laughs> I also love that Bulane's getting tied up with the Vecna thing, and she has a big old fucking secret. You know, <laughs> like she's uh, like that just seems really fitting. But uh, so yeah, so I think I think the whole thing, you know, she's she's been on the move because she knows bounty hunters are after her, and and at some point that's gonna blow up in her face, and that's gonna be great. <laughs> Man, this whole um, recap thing has been so surprising for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's because you take off your headset at key yeah, moments. <laughs> if if the listeners don't know, I you know playing who I play, uh, I'm trying to like remove mm-hmm. all the information that mm-hmm. the audience gets that Zerus wouldn't have, and so this is there's a lot I'm learning today. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> so that brings me to question four here, which is so it isn't every podcast that has someone purposefully playing an evil concept. So how's everyone handling having a lawful evil concept? I found it was kind of interesting because originally I also kind of wanted to play into that a little bit with Creed and make her more morally gray. And this is the thing that happens to me every time I try to play someone not good is that I eventually just fall into being good. I always play good characters, and then as soon as I'm like, this time I'm going to be an evil one, like something melts their heart, <laughs> they become good. I, I, It's so hard to be bad for me. I'm sorry if I stole your thunder. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I mean, but but I, I like I like that, like, conflict and that energy. I kind of like, you know, the, like, the need to watch what I do to a certain degree. And also to just, like, be exposed to a character that does things that makes me uncomfortable. Like, mm-hmm. well, makes Creedon uncomfortable. Good, good, okay. So I mean both of these things in a good way, but I find Xerus is both challenging and vexing to to play alongside. And a lot of it is, I recognize as me as a player, getting appalled at the things that he does. Sure, yep, you know? yep. And, and it's hard to... I, I, I sometimes have a hard time separating how I feel 
as a player from you know my character you know try, trying okay. to keep that separate because you know Boulain is supposed to be fairly neutral and I I wonder if I was perfect at separating my own feelings from my characters if she would mind as much the sure. things that Zerus does because <laughs> she's more like I mean especially given that she has secrets and she's laying low and she's on the move because she's trying to like not have somebody catch up with her she doesn't splash much you know <laughs> like she doesn't she's she's a little bit like go with the flow of whatever's going on because she doesn't want to call attention to herself but at the same time she does have some convictions about you know things that don't match Zerus and she yeah. has a hard she has a hard time being willing to speak up about it because she doesn't want to estrange the only people she calls friends <laughs> if there's uh if there's too much bleed of course please let me know let's talk about but oh. I, I don't i don't hear that in what you're saying i'm just saying like no i mean i mean it's it's just sort of, sort of the recoil on you know when he burned all the books and, right that's actually i had this gut sink at that moment i was like oh fuck you know but, yeah, like, me as the player i was like oh but oh. then like you know creighton grew up in the church and there are forbidden texts like mm -hmm. that's a normal thing like that shouldn't be completely wild i mean you know y'all are too liberal <laughs> we're too liberal we're too liberal it's, yeah. it's uh, like me the me the player i was like well oh, i should yeah. mention this is a portland oregon like podcast yeah. yes <laughs> books are holy there are no moderates all here. books are holy no. well, um, i'm also a very liberal individual yes yes yeah and i think that needs to be stated saying it now robert, robert robert and zeros are very much not the same person robert would not burn books no but, but, it's also, but it's also up. like part of the challenge, though, is also trying to get into the mindset of living in a world where, yes, we we are lawfully bound to do things like burn forbidden books, you know, and it's hard to get into that mindset because it's just so repulsive, you know, so. <laughs> it's difficult. Like, I walk a tightrope playing Zerus as well, right? And it's a challenge that I knew when I designed characters like this or when I get into it, but. Um, I have to like pick the moments to be evil that that will drive a narrative rather than bring it screeching to a halt mm -hmm. and and play nice with other characters while still trying to hold true to that core of like it's my way most mm -hmm. of the time and finding that balance it's it's difficult on this side as well sometimes to like grip my teeth and let you take a book or whatever. Go ahead. Nate. <laughs> I was going to say, you still, you still have to have the, the yes. And mm -hmm. component mm -hmm. of like telling a story with people and you have to walk a tightrope because you have a character who will say no. And so how do you yes. And for the story <laughs> while saying no for the character? I think you've done a pretty good job with it because, I mean, there's definitely been times where, like, you know, Creedon has been like, this is not what I want to do as a character, but Zerus is scary and I'm just going to go with it. But, like, <laughs> that doesn't happen frequently enough that I feel like you're controlling our party's actions. Perfect. Yeah, actually, like, I was, I would say even, you know, sometimes Zerus takes the back seat and lets, mm -hmm. I, I, well, I mean, Creedon's taken the lead, took the lead, like, in the Highlock confrontation with kaima and mary well until zerus 
locked the door and drew his axe. <laughs> hey, sometimes if it drags on too long, you need somebody to just you, pull you, out you the weapon. You need somebody to like start the action. Yeah, but you know, but there is, you know, the but there, there's been times he's let Boulain, you know, mm-hmm. do the talking and take charge and make a plan. And so, like, I think he you've actually been remarkably, I guess, egalitarian in terms of like, I, I don't feel like Xerus is leading the party because he's insisting on taking charge. Right. And I, I try to be more reactive evil mm-hmm. than like <laughs> proactive evil. <laughs> and that's, that's one of the things I wanted. I wanted Xerus to be like likable and gregarious if everyone's doing the right thing. I, I think one of the challenges when you're when you're dealing with somebody who's in the e- who's in the evil category is that there is nobody who's evil who thinks of themselves mm-hmm. as evil, and that's a challenge. That's that's where it gets challenging. Is because you have to be in a mindset where you're like, I'm doing the right thing, <laughs> and everybody else looking at you is like, Wow, that's evil as fuck. But um, <laughs> but but you have to you have to be convinced that you're doing the right thing at all times because otherwise you wouldn't do it thankfully uh, a zealot a faithful individual at least you know this this particular type of faith is very easy to slide into that mm-hmm. like justifying what i do with the will of the gods thanks to the way that nate has written the uh, written the setting the, the setting yeah has made that very easy just be like nope the gods let me do it so clearly it was meant to happen <laughs> Well, and also his allegiance changes depending on his needs. Like he's he's very deft in jumping from god to god to justify yep. mm-hmm. whatever he needs. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> yeah, I I love Zerus as a character. You're also just so scary when you like have the big smile on your face and you're just like, I'm gonna cut you in half. <laughs> and I, I love that we get to see you do those faces yeah. because you you like mm-hmm. like in my mind, Zerus is you. He has your face. <laughs> last question to wrap this bad boy up what's been your favorite town so far high lot i liked the intrigue and going around and questioning everybody i thought that was fun yeah, it was fun. It was fun doing the investigation part. Highlock was the most fun to interact with. Yeah, just say so there were a lot of like interactions and moving pieces to pick apart in Highlock. It it stands out as a highlight of towns and very dynamic characters. Like I think all all of the favorites that we've named have been <laughs> were the Highlock characters. I had a soft spot for Palmville, but that's because it all surrounded the Silent Judge, which was my character's patron god. So you know, but yeah, I think Highlock was definitely probably the most fun little heist buster <laughs> i liked palmville as well i think i just it it's a little it's a little harder because i was still figuring out like you know who my character is mm-hmm. then it was so early in the campaign yeah. that like you know we didn't we didn't have our dynamic yet yeah we were so still i don't feel- think of it quite as fondly yeah we, we were still feeling each other out as players and feeling our characters out and it was early but yeah and it was a very it was also a very simple a fairly simple little plot too so there wasn't much to there wasn't a ton to figure out there so wait which town has been your favorite nate my favorite oh i think the party did tuscan i I think the party did the best hero work in highlock solved all of the problems that they could solve threw themselves at danger for the betterment of a of a whole city right so i think with highlock like that's that's where the key, the characters were the most heroic. I think I kind of have a soft spot for North Bank. So North Bank, of course, is a diseased, horrible place. 
not going to be anyone's favorite. <laughs> that, that smells. That smells like moldy sewage mud and fish. <laughs> yeah. <Ooh>. Yeah. <laughs> North Bank was an olfactory delight. <laughs> no, what I liked about it is that was the first time that you had run into a mystery half solved. Because mm. mm. the pub had been there. And so it wasn't you trying to piece together the mystery. It was you trying to piece together the mystery after someone had already like messed with it and burnt down one of the major buildings and like <laughs> destroyed several key ghosts and like found their horcruxes and broke them and then fled the art sage Mason for lack of trust. Right? Like and you <laughs> You all showed up and you were like, well, uh, this is, this is, Messed this up. is a mess. And so we have to figure out what happened after somebody else has already tried to figure out what happened and also tried to solve problems. North Bank was a tough investigation. It was challenging. <laughs> it I remember was. feeling really confused a lot yeah. at the time. I, and I, and honestly, I don't think I, we walked away. I don't think I, I as a player totally understood the situation until like we discussed it later, mm. <laughs> you know, mm. like, yeah. I, I didn't understand how the ghost and the, and the, the cult Link were, together, were yeah. connected. I, I, I never, I never pieced that one together. So. <laughs> well, and, and unfortunately, Max Dread and Chastity are the ones who knew that information and they weren't there anymore. Right. <laughs> And similarly, when you go into Sternheim, it's a half-solved problem. Mm -hmm. Also, you know, not to be too mean to Sharp Edge of the Pub, Palmville was a half-solved problem <laughs> for them. Uh, they have no idea what happened in that graveyard. <laughs> 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 and they're still trying to figure out how to clean the undead out of the forest. <laughs> well, we, we didn't know there were undead animals to deal with, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's what they're dealing with, right? It's all these undead that animals. Is, yeah. yes. well, they didn't know that there was... An extra ghost. <laughs> the stuff that wasn't in the graveyard. Huh. Whoops. Actually, I wanted to reflect one of the other, like, how's it been as a DM of an evil character? How what does, does that change anything for you? It, it doesn't so much because I'll, I'll tell you, like, no story I have ever made has ever survived players, even when they're all good aligned, even when they want to be heroes, even like, I have never once in 20 two, 23 years of playing Dungeons and Dragons successfully anticipated what my players were going to do. <laughs> so to me, it's, it's almost like a, a non-issue, right? Because like an evil character would throw me a curveball if I wasn't already expecting that every ball would be a curveball. You know? <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, good, good. I also don't tend to invite players who are just going to follow my plot lines. So. <laughs> you, you, you vex yourself with the players you pick <laughs> yeah 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 I, I i want to yes and and i want to collectively storytell and so the evil concepts or even if the whole party was kind of evil it wouldn't bug me too much if the if we got gratuitous i would probably do a lot of fade to blacks mm -hmm. and i don't generally invite people who take us that far but i'm pretty happy with it and I think there's a, a certain maturity that's happening here too, which is like Zerus is going to be a heart. Like I can't preserve the hard no of the character of Zerus and still yes and, and so Zerus is going on a walk, you know? And oh, I think yeah. we've been pretty good about making sure that Zerus isn't the party. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're doing pretty well at maintaining a healthy party dynamic, I think. <laughs> 
of just not not saying certain things to each other. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a marriage. That's, that's like a marriage. I was gonna say that's the way it is, right? You you have to you have to not communicate about certain things. Just keep them quiet. They'll never come up. Not a problem. Okay, thank you. I just was curious about your take. Yeah. Now I want Creedon to get closer to Boulain so that she can have a confidant because this is too scary to be a confidant. <laughs> well, I mean, Creedon's so so upset about the near death experience and everything. It's like, true. I've already every, bonded with you. Yeah, I mean, you know, Boulain is a death priest. <laughs> <laughs>